This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Absolutely delighted to be joined on Football CFB today by a broadcaster who I have so much admiration and respect for. Mark Pugach has worked at ITV, he's worked at BT Sport, and he's also worked with Radio 5 Live. What sums Mark up is the following quote from Mr Chris Sutton, who's a hard man to please, as, as so many know. He says, Pugers is the, is the go-to man, Mr Reliable, Mr Warmth, an all-round abundance of knowledge in virtually every sport that has been invented. Mark, thank you for joining me. Well, my pleasure. I hope you're well in these strange times, Callum. I, I sure am, and, and I've just read that quote there from, from Chris Sutton. Um, what's it like when someone like Chris, a, a former player of the game, has such kind words for you? Well, it's, it's very gratifying, of course, and I suppose it's, uh, it's reassuring that what you set out to do, hopefully you are achieving up to a certain point, which is to be, you know, to be first and foremost a good human being. I think, I think what's going on at the moment, Callum, that is more important than anything else, isn't it? You want somebody to say that, you know, the way that you behave and the way that you act is, is what you would expect of other people, but also that you've got the knowledge and therefore with, with experience, hopefully comes a bit of authority and gravitas with that, because I think that's really, that's really important. And I always say that to, to people who are starting out on their career. I said, you can't fast track experience and you can't fast track gravitas but you you can have the knowledge even if you're 22 23 you can have the knowledge make sure that you that you soak yourself in whatever sport it is in my case it was a variety of sports because of the way my career was to 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 make sure that you are a very proficient and knowledgeable across all sorts of different sports you you mentioned that knowledge across different sports how would you describe your love of sport what was the the sport or which sport first captured your imagination well, growing up in the 70s, the summer and winter sports were much more delineated than they are now. Obviously, we had World Cups and European Championships, but they weren't as big. They weren't as big in terms of media and they weren't as big in terms of the number of, of countries who qualified. So it was a much, it was a much a sort of neater end to the football season and start of the cricket season in, in my house. My, my dad... God rest his soul, was, a, was absolutely obsessed with cricket. He didn't mind football. I mean, he wasn't particularly interested, but he didn't mind it. So for me, I, I loved the both. For me, there was very much winter and summer sports. So winter was playing football, playing rugby, and, and summer was playing cricket. So it, I suppose that's a long way of saying that they, that, that particularly football and cricket were, were, were and remain equal loves, as rugby does as well, to be fair, equal loves, because... It wasn't a question like now where they all merge into each other. You know, in the summer months when I was growing up, if it was an odd numbered year and there was no football, you didn't really read about football in the newspapers. It wasn't really on the television or talked about. It was it was the cricket season or it was Wimbledon or it was um, or it was the open golf or it was the or something like that. Do you see what I mean? So so that so it was very much when I was growing up, which is which is 
carried on um very much a twin love not one more than the other of the of the of the the summer and winter sports you mentioned european championships world cups there and how big that those events have have now become when you consider the the level of media that attend these events the the, the viewership for these events as well in terms of yourself, Mark, you're hosting the ITV England coverage. That must be such an honour because you're broadcasting for the nation. It's a huge honour. Oh, I mean, there's no question about it. It's a massive honour and it's, um, it's a massive responsibility. And the funny thing is, Callum, that I, uh, of course, I want England to, to do well. I want Scotland to do well. I'm saying that to you very quickly as well. I got married in Scotland, by the way. I've got lots of Scottish family on my wife's side. But uh, it's a huge honour, but it's a big responsibility. And I, when I go to an England game, obviously I want England to win, but I, I can't go as a fan. I've very, very much got my, my work head on, my journalistic head on, my editorial head on. I mean, I'll give you an example. Obviously, the biggest thing I've ever presented in my life was the World Cup semi-final, England against Croatia. Um, and while every English man and woman um, was, you know, worrying in the second half or England going to hold on or whatever. I'm thinking about, you know, words to say when we come off air, if England have won, words to say to come off air, if England haven't won. Do you know what I mean? The whole time you have to, um, you, you have to, I suppose it's a bit like a player. I often say to players, do you regard, you know, do you realise the enormity of the occasion when you walk out? Are you thinking about mum and dad and how far you've come? And they're thinking, no, I'm thinking about playing the game. You know, I'm thinking about doing the programme. So it's that, that doesn't downplay the significance of it for me. It actually, I, I like that. I like, I, I suppose I like that. I mean, I'm old enough and experienced enough now. I like that sense of responsibility to get it right. You mentioned the World Cup semi-final and it was an incredible run by England. It was an event that for the, the English nation and, and the, the people of England was, of course, a very proud moment and an exciting moment for yourself. Did you change your preparation in any way at all, Mark? Did you feel added responsibility given how massive this was because it was the first time in, in, in 28 years? Well, it's that's a, it's a very good question. What happened? I, I don't I don't. I didn't change my preparation in the end. But what happened actually was that my wife came out to Moscow about three days before, and she found me really nervous. And she said, "What's wrong with you?" And I went, "Well, this is this is huge. This is massive." And she went, "Listen, just do what you've always done. You know, you've done this job for long enough now. And what you've always done," she said, "is be extremely well prepared." So we 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 took a boat trip round Moscow. We had a bottle of wine. We looked at the sites. You know, we we just chatted things through. You know, as in as in she's a viewer, I'm presenting, you know, what sort of things she'd expect, you know, what sort of things she'd like to watch. And then I went to the office two days beforehand with the editor and the producer and went through the whole programme. I mean, it's you know, you have to you have to prepare these things properly. And by the time I'd done that, I was I was absolutely fine. I knew where I was going. I knew what I wanted to do. I, so so the answer is I didn't. In the, But it took me a little bit of time. Just to just to think, actually, just do what you always do. And again, that's what a player would say. They always say, don't they? Play the match, not the occasion. You know, do the programme, not the occasion, if you like. So by the time I'd done that, I was absolutely fine. It, but it did, because of the enormity of the occasion, it did just take somebody like her to say to me, oh, just do what you normally do. You know, you've got a couple of days now, just prepare properly. And then you will, you know, then you, you trust. And it's an awful thing that footballers say, Callum, isn't it? You trust the process, but you do. Again, because that's experience if you've done it for as long as I have. 
In terms of that occasion and working with ITV for that coverage, you've worked with so many wonderful characters in your broadcasting career, but two characters that are at the forefront of broadcasting at the moment in, in regards to punditry are Ian Wright and Roy Keane. You've got Ian, who's such a, a happy-go-lucky character. He knows his stuff, but he can get very excitable. And on the other hand, you've got Roy, who it takes a lot, let's say, to, to get Roy quite excitable. What's it like working with those guys on a live broadcast? But live broadcasts work at their best when you have different characters who nevertheless complement each other. And live broadcasting doesn't work if you've got three Ian Wrights and what live broadcasting doesn't work if you've got three Roy Keynes. And it works so well because they bring something different. They all want the same thing in the end. And, they're, and, and underneath it all, they are all the same in that they are extremely professional. They're very professional footballers and they're very professional broadcasters and they're working with me. And I like to think one of my strengths is to be very professional. And that's why it works so well between them and with Lee Dixon and we had Gary Neville on, on the team as well. So, um, you know, Roy is, Roy is extremely funny. He's one of the funniest people I've ever met. He has the driest wit. Um, he has the highest standards of footballers, and people know that watching Sky. So when he's watching, he wants footballers to perform to the highest standards, to the best of their ability, as he did. And when, when they do, he's extremely complimentary. And when they don't, and he knows their players of great ability, then he's frustrated. Ian, I always call him, an, I always call Ian England's barometer. So we're going to play a big match. Ian, how are you feeling this evening? And he'll say, I'm very nervous. I'm very excited. I'm a bit twitchy. I'm worried about the left back. I'm worried about the right wing. And that's brilliant because that also, it's entertainment as well. It's not entertainment as in song and dance, you know, some cabaret show. But it's still got to be entertaining that people watch it. Because the figures tell you, Callum, you look at it. The, the figures, the simple numbers tell you that there are plenty of people watching uh, live terrestrial football who don't watch Liverpool, Manchester United. The figures will tell you that because the figures are twice as big. So you've got people who might only watch five, six, seven games a year, but it's England, it's a big event, it's a family event, we're all around the telly together, it's friends, when we're allowed to be with friends in the streets all getting together. So you need to have an element of entertaining. Oh, this chap, you know, this person's very bubbly and this person's very effervescent. And Ian does that brilliantly. And, and at the stage of, of your career, you mentioned the word experienced. You, you clearly are experienced. You, you've worked in broadcast where you're describing um, the action of some of these guys that are now your colleagues in punditry. What's it like when, when you're off screen with, with, with those guys? Is it is it quite surreal at times getting to know the likes of an Ian, a Gary, a Lee or a Roy when you think, I, I, I hosted live broadcasts talking about them as players and now I'm colleagues with them? It's, 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 no, it is. It's a bit, I mean, it's odd in a good sense. It is a bit weird sometimes. I saw a picture the other day in, uh, in 442, the football magazine, and it was the day that Ian broke the Arsenal goal scoring record and he's taken his shirt off to show his vest. I think he took it off a goal early, actually. And Lee Dixon's hugging him. And I looked at it, I thought, it's a bit odd that, you know, these two are friends of mine now that I know them so well. And, you know, you can't move without a picture of Roy Keane. No, it isn't. But I, that's, that's, I, I am. Um, I have a little chuckle to myself about that, as I do, you know, uh, I've worked with Michael Vaughan a lot on cricket. And I mean, I love cricket. And, you know, you look at a picture of him winning the Ashes in 2005, or obviously I worked with Johnny Wilkins in every England match. And you only have to go back to the, to the World Cup winning his drop goal. I think it's, it's sort of, um, I suppose it's the, the circle of life when it comes to a sportsman that so many of them go into the punditry box. But yeah, I, I, I have a little chuckle to myself. No question of that. 
Another broadcast that, that, that you were a, a big part of for a number of years, a, a different broadcast to, to the England coverage and the live rugby and cricket coverage was BT Sports Score. And the reason I, I, I describe it as being different is because I want to get your perspective as the host of hosting a show where the viewers can't actually see the action due to the three o'clock blackout as it was at the time. I know things have slightly changed with the, the pandemic. What's that situation like? Because you need to be very good as a team to make the viewers feel that they're watching the action, even when they're not. And I have to compliment you and the team. I thought you were very, very good at that. Well, it, I mean, no one thought that the the, 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 uh, the whole concept would work when it started 30 years ago at Sky. But I mean, it, but it, but it has it has worked very well. You, you need people, as you say, you need people uh, watching who are a very descriptive uh, because you can't just keep saying crosses from the right, nods it in. You know, very descriptive, got a really good turn of phrase, um, who have got a very good sense of humour, because that show really does have to be entertaining for the obvious reasons that, viewer, that the viewer can't see it, who are quick on their feet, who are able to have a laugh and maybe have a laugh at themselves as well. And again, it's all about... It's all about characters complimenting each other. And that, that's a very difficult thing to get right. And you, you can't actually, it's a bit of a punt. You, you think, well, I'm going to get A, B, C and D. And it doesn't always work. Sometimes one of them might not be right. The other three are fine. So you, you, have, to, you have to trust your instincts. You have to, it's a bit of a stab in the dark. You, you can't be afraid to make changes if things don't quite work. But it's it's I think it's very I think it's typically British that we enjoy shows like that so much where the where people can't actually see. I mean, what's going to be very interesting when this is over, Callum, is whether the three o'clock blackout continues, of course, next season. I think we all know that this season, you know, we're not going to have fans. It's going to carry on like this. But, uh, uh, you know, next season, will the three o'clock blackout continue? I think I don't think there's any question the big American owners of our Premier League clubs um, you know, find the whole thing bizarre that people can't watch football at three o'clock. But of course, we have, we don't want to dissuade people from going to their local clubs. And we have a very big traveling support in this country, which clearly for geographical reasons doesn't happen in American sport. That's very true. And that's a, an interesting um, situation that I'm interested to, to see as well. Just one, one question upon changes to, to, to broadcasting, Mark. I'd love to get your perspective on it. For many years, Champions League and elite European football was broadcast live on terrestrial television. Then it went to highlights, which you, of course, hosted alongside the likes of Roy and Lees we've discussed earlier. Do, do you feel that this pandemic has shown, with a few Premier League games being shown on terrestrial TV, that the audience is there and that when TV deals are being negotiated for these iconic footballing um, leagues and cups that there should be an element of terrestrial TV built into them? Well, I mean, Caleb, I am bound to say yes, and I would say yes. And uh, I mean, I mean, there's not even a, I don't think anybody would debate what the, what the figures would be if you had even a small element of European Champions League, Europa League football on free to air. Uh, and I think we all know that the, the, uh, the figures would be huge. But, but I'm not naive, and it comes down to money. And it comes down to money uh, largely because the European clubs as well uh, see how much the British clubs have made. I have bound to say, can't be honest, the English clubs particularly have made, of course, out of, uh, out of television deals. And they understandably want a slice of that action. 
I would love to see, and I think viewers would, I would love to see a, a slice of it. I mean, it's, the majority of it's always going to be on satellite television, and that's understandable. But I would love to see a little bit of it carved out for free to air so that people who don't have um, satellite television or don't want to or can't afford to, let's not pretend otherwise, a lot of people can't afford to, still get the chance to see top-class European action on a regular basis. I think personally, as it used to, the two could sit very happily side by side, a satellite and free-to-air deal. The satellite partner would be the, the senior partner in terms of the quantity of games shown, and that, that's not an issue at all because they would pay the, 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 the large amount of money. But I definitely think there's a model out there where the two could sit happily side by side. And the, or, I have no question about it. I know they would. The audiences would respond. You only have to look at the, the figures that we have um, and the BBC have had, to be fair, this is not this is not an ITV, ITV thing. This is a free to air thing, Callum. You only have to look at the figures that the BBC have had for the FA Cup, that the figures the BBC have had, as you've said, for the Premier League matches that they have. Look at the figures that we have for England matches that both BBC and ITV have for European Championships and World Cup and the figures that we had for the Rugby World Cup, which wasn't at a brilliant uh, time slot because it was breakfast. But we had great figures for that. I think you only have to look at all that. And of course, uh, ITV will share the FA Cup with the BBC this time next year. So every FA Cup match will be free to wear, which is brilliant for the old competition. I think you only have to look at all those figures to know what the response would be were there to be a little bit of European live football on ITV. Absolutely, I completely agree. It reminds me of, of growing up as well when you had even just one game per match day. It was, it was very special. That, that's, that's all it would be. I think that's all anybody would, would be saying. It would be, you know, one game per match day. And the thing is, because the audience is so... So I've got a 22-year-old son who's football mad. He knows everything about... He knows as much about Real Madrid as he does about Manchester United. So he's not... not and you, your generation, Callum, you're not, not going to watch... Ajax to be Real Madrid because it doesn't contain a British club. You know everything about those two teams. It's just as good a game as if it involved Liverpool or Manchester City or, or Rangers or Celtic. Absolutely. And I think that's that's something that, that's crucial. I mean, I've got a background, Mark, of working in education and it, it does sadden me that there is a generation of younger um, kids who are, are coming up now without being able to watch that Champions League coverage free to air as I was able to growing up. Because as you've said, when people are priced out, of um, satellite television or for whatever reason they make the decision not to to, to buy into it. it. It can be sad for the younger generations. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well let's see what happens. Let's see what happens then. As well as um, television, you've also worked in radio. You worked at BBC Radio 5 Live. One of the interviews I really have to ask you about is your interview with Jimmy Arnfield. I mean, how do you approach an interview where you might have a topic that that for the person on the other end of the, the phone or the other end of the room could be quite tricky. I mean, he famously missed the World Cup. How did you approach that? Well, the truth is, Callum, Jimmy, I knew so well that that it was it was one of the top three things I did in my radio career was that interview with Jimmy. He was such a lovely, charming man. And, um, you know, I talked to him about it, you know, over a pint and on a trip before about the World Cup. So I wasn't worried about that aspect. <clears throat> it was more Jimmy knew what we were doing because he loved radio. He knew we were doing the interview of his life because he was coming towards the end of his life. So he actually said as we, we, we went to his house in Blackpool, I think we, we went in about March, April time. And he died about a year later. And he went, is this the interview of my life? I went, yes. He went, well, I better make it bloody good then. I went, yes, Jimmy, you better. So it was, to be honest with you, Callum, I could have spent all day talking to him. One of the loveliest, most charming men I ever knew. 
And I, I looked at Jimmy in a very, I looked at him in a rather paternal way, to be honest, because my dad died a long time ago, but Jimmy was exactly the same, was born exactly the same year as my dad, give or take six months, maybe. And um, I always looked at Jimmy rather paternally as sort of this figure like my dad was, who'd grown up in the war. And because of that, because of the wartime, um, what's the word, uh, uh, discipline and the wartime priorities, that's the word I'm looking for. And I think that's why I uh, had a different view. And that's why he was so phlegmatic about the World Cup. He was in the scrub, he didn't play. He was like, it, it, he was basically saying, listen, I grew up in the war when it all happened and we could have lost everything. I didn't play in the World Cup, so what? He, I remember the line, wasn't it better that we won the World Cup? That's what he said, wasn't it better? And Jimmy was <clears throat> an England captain, a great footballer, manager of Leeds after Brian Clough, manager of Bolton, uh, great writer, broadcaster, worked at the FA, helped select England managers. I mean, he did. I did never met anybody who had as many important roles in football as Jimmy. I mean, he was just the most delightful man. And all of us who worked with him still miss him, still miss Jimmy. I mean, I, it was he was just tremendous value. He was great fun. He was very charming. And that, as I said, kind of that interview I did with him was one of my top three things I ever did in my radio career. And talking about the World Cup and how phlegmatic he was, talking about replacing Brian Clough after 44 days at Leeds was brilliant. Talking about the European Cup final in 1975 when Leeds were pretty much robbed by some atrocious refereeing against Bayern Munich. They really should have won the European Cup that night. Just think, Jimmy, you did everything. You literally did everything. That's incredible. In terms of radio, you, you've been, um, you, you've interviewed many people like Jimmy, as we've discussed. You've been involved in, in some phone-ins as well. What's it like being on radio in comparison to television? Because it is more conversational in the sense that you have more time to open up on a subject if you want to. Yes, that, it's funny because they're, they're quite similar and yet they're very different. And my radio experience, which I mean, I loved every minute of it and I fully intend to do lots more radio in the future. You have plenty of time, as you say, to get into a subject, <clears throat> to debate it, to listen to people. <clears throat> and, and the challenge on television, particularly, particularly on um, commercial television, is that every second counts. And that's a great challenge and really good for me and really good for my brain that actually, in a way, I need to make it. I need to make sure that it flows just as well. That I've got just get just as much out of my pundits and just as relaxed. But time is of the essence because you've got adverts to go to. You've got a commercial breaks to hit. You've got a tight framework to get to. So, in a way, radio is like you know working one side of your brain and television the other side of your brain. And um, they're, they're they're both great for that. Um, and and. If you like, you know, I wanted a challenge. I, I, I like challenges. I thrive on challenges. Well, right, well, I can do radio now. I really can do that in my sleep. Now I need to do television and, and challenge the other side of my broadcasting ability, which is, as I just said, get, it, get all the editorially salient points covered in an, in, a, in an entertaining, relaxed way, but within a definite time frame. Absolutely, and I think that's what makes a good interview and a good presenter. So you've been you're very experienced, as you mentioned. So you're definitely still doing it right to this day. Two questions, Mark, before uh, you go, and thank you for being so generous with your time. How would you sum up the development of the Premier League over the the course of your broadcasting career? Because if you look back to that season in ninety two, ninety three, to now, the the transformation's been incredible. Well, it's it's 
it is arguably the greatest export that that Britain has. Sorry, um, sorry to say that to a Scotsman because, of course, it's the English Premier League. But it is arguably that. I mean, I work, I work every day a week, one day a week, uh, one, two days a week at um, the Premier League's channel just outside Heathrow, which is based out there. And I've done that since it launched 10 years ago. And the response we get. So I do a sort of match of the day style show every Monday for two hours with Dion Dublin, Don Hutchison and Chris Foy, the Premier, former Premier League referee. And we, you know, we review the weekend and with Chris, obviously, particularly VAR, we review the refereeing decisions. The response we get from that. You name a country, Callum, and it, they respond to us. It's massive in Africa, sub-Saharan Africa particularly, massive in Asia, massive in the Far East. And I've had, I've got a nephew who lives in Vietnam. I've had a niece who's been in Borneo. I've got friends in Cape Town. I've got, had friends in Kuala Lumpur texting me going, you're on my television screen. What are you doing here? It is enormous. And they, it's been brilliantly marketed by the Premier League. And congratulations to them and uh, for that. And, and, and I think that really is the biggest thing that I mean, it's, it's huge domestically as well now, because obviously BT, uh, because of Sky and then BT and radio, you know, you now got five live and you've got talk sports. Um, uh, and obviously you've got Amazon now as well in the Premier League. But but internationally, it's just been gigantic and marketed in a way that La Liga and the Bundesliga and Serie A would absolutely love, but they're a long, long way behind. So that's how I would characterise, particularly with an international hue on it, what's happened in the in the 20, what are we now, 28 years, 29 years of the Premier League. The last question I've got, I'm going to ask you to to, to take your presenter hat off and put your, your fan hat on. Um, OK. England, England, of course, are... Um, playing in the European Championships this summer. I'm delighted as a Scotsman, I have to say, Mark, to yeah. say that we are going to be here because... Oh, my! I, Callum, I'm thrilled Scotland are there. And we've got England-Scotland live on ITV. It's going to be immense. Well, for me, I was three the last time we got to a major tournament in 98. So it's it's, for, it's going to be the first major tournament I get to really see Scotland and, and, and watch it live. So... The, the question I've got for you, how do you think England will perform this summer? Because they have an abundance of exciting talent when you think of the likes of Raheem Sterling, Harry Kane. Um, there's so many talented players that England have. Do you think they could go one step further than the semi-finals this year? I, I think there are probably two answers to that question. One is if they play every game at Wembley, because we, we don't know how the Euros obviously logistically are going to pan out. If they play every game at Wembley, which they're due to, they could do if they win the group. Scotland will have something to say about that, of course. Then I think they've got a reasonable chance. If they don't, are probably slightly less chance. Uh, I, they've got so many good players going forward. And by the way, Phil Foden, I think, has to be in the England team. I think he is another level. But you mentioned them all. Kane, Sterling, Rashford, Sancho, Grealish, um, Foden. I mean, they're incredible. I just wonder defensively whether England are good enough. I just want to defensively, are England reliable enough, consistently reliable enough um, to, to, to win the Euros? I would love to think so, of course. Um, so I, I suspect a semi-final would be, I think you'd have to say, wherever they play the games, I think they should be getting to the quarterfinal. I think they should be getting to a quarterfinal, semi-final. I really do. Um, I just hope we play it, Callum. I'm not fudging. That's what I think. I, I hope we play it. I, I want nothing more than England, Scotland in front of 80,000 because, you know, your countrymen will bring such colour and noise and verve and joy and bagpipes and, you know, saltars to Wembley. I can't wait. 
it, you know, it'd be absolutely brilliant. So that's, I'm, I'm hoping even more, to be honest, I'm hoping even more than England win it or England don't win it, a Euros played in front of a, in front of a Europe, which is coming out of this terrible, terrible dip of um, pandemic fear and, and death. That's what I hope most of all. And we can just enjoy going to, you know, going to anything, going to a football match, going to the pub, going to the theatre, going to see friends, going to, going to the cinema. That's what I hope more than anything else. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And Mark, I just have to say thank you so much for your time today and, and thank you for your insight. It's been an absolute education for me. Well, listen, no, thank you, Callum. And, and, and just to finish with, I always say to, to people, I know, you're, you know the, you've just told me how old you are. It, it's a great profession, this. It's hard work, but it's very rewarding. But you have to be completely committed to it. And, you, you know, it's not a job. I don't think any job is, to be fair, where you can be half-hearted about it. So I always say to people, um, you know, read, watch, listen, absorb, decide what you like, decide what you don't like, decide what you think works. What doesn't work? I still do that now. I watch tele. Go, oh, that's really good. I like that. I'll go. Well, I don't like that. I did it yesterday. I was listening to someone. Went, Please don't do that. You know, have your own standards. Work hard. Know your stuff. Know your stuff. And then again, know your stuff. Never say I don't know. I wasn't born. You weren't born in 1967, Callum. Nor was I actually. But you know what the score was at Wembley between England and Scotland. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you so much. My pleasure, Callum. Uh, take care. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home